May I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I wonder if you've been watching the extraordinary BBC television programme, The Bodyguard, which comes to its no doubt terrifying conclusion this evening. It tells the story of a close protection officer who's a member of the Royal and Diplomatic Protection Squad of the Metropolitan Police, David Budd, and um, the extraordinary series of events that he's drawn into. The the series began with um, him on a train with his children and suddenly being drawn into a potential suicide bombing, which, of course, he was able to avert. Um, The thing that I find extraordinary about this series is that it's absolutely terrifying. From the moment the episode starts, I I find myself becoming more and more and more anxious because I know something terrible is going to happen, and lo and behold, it does. Um, It seems odd that, that a program like this should be so entertaining and so popular. I think it it tells us something rather odd about our culture at the moment. Perhaps we we enjoy watching a program that makes us very afraid, because actually many of us are afraid. And the program, in a sense, heightens that and allows us to experience fear, but then holds it so that we can let it go. We are a country that certainly feels great fear. And so we read today in the Gospel according to St. Mark, Jesus presents Jesus predicting the future of his ministry, one of the three times he does so in Mark. But the response of the disciples is perhaps unexpected. This is what Jesus said. The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But the disciples did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. What can this fear possibly mean for us? And how can it be good news for us that the disciples were frightened? First of all, perhaps, the fear of the disciples, which Mark consistently emphasizes throughout his gospel, the fear of the disciples warns us against idealizing the church of the past, the church of the New Testament, or even of any other period. Looking back, we think, oh, it must have been wonderful to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen directly to him. 
Well, it was, no doubt. But this preaching often caused fear. And we might look back on the so-called ages of faith, the early Middle Ages or the Victorian period or even the Edwardian period and think how wonderful it must have been in that time of what seems unalloyed certainty about the Christian faith. Well, perhaps, but according to the teaching of Mark, discovering the gospel and the truth of the gospel is always unsettling and will always give occasion to fear. A mature Christian faith, which is what it would seem Mark is encouraging in his readers, a mature Christian faith has a space for uncertainty, fear, and confusion. And then how often do we hear things like, if only we did X, then the church would be full and we wouldn't have any worries about the future. We'd have so many people in the congregation, we'd be needing to double the size of the cathedral. Um, If only we were to preach the gospel truly, if only we were to um, have a sung Eucharist every morning at six o'clock, there are many, many different, um, you can fill in X as you like, there are many, many different prescriptions, which I assure you, people are always telling me, if only we did X, all our problems would be over. Well, what the teaching of the gospel according to St. Mark is, there's no simple thing we can do to communicate the gospel to other people in its complexity and nuance. There's no simple remedy for the unfaith of our generation. And that should give us pause today, particularly as we give thanks for the ministry of Beth as our pioneer curate. One of the distinctive elements of this pioneer model of ministry that our church has developed, based very largely on the work of Bishop Stephen Croft, one of the distinctive elements is the commitment to search for how to engage those who are not yet apparently people of faith in the story of the gospel. And what the witness of Beth and of many other pioneers shows that this is a complex task. People are complex, our culture is complex, And if we are to respond with integrity, we need to preach the gospel with nuance and sophistication and to understand profoundly how God is calling us now to respond to Christ's invitation. The vision of pioneer ministry is that we can speak effectively into our strange and frightened culture. But it also teaches that that is no simple task. 
but something that requires depth, commitment over the long term, and love. The vision of the pioneer shows us that we overcome the fear of our generation gently, persistently, and with great wisdom. For there is no preaching of the gospel that avoids this question of suffering and fear. St. Paul puts this very starkly in the second letter to the Corinthians. This is what he says. For I decided to know nothing except the death of Jesus Christ. The true gospel is centered on the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Savior. And there's no way round this suffering. No easy way of avoiding it or pretending it's not there. Any preaching of the gospel that tries to do so is necessarily false. A gospel of prosperity and ease, not the gospel of Christ. The writer and poet Rilke is very honest here. He writes to a friend who is going through a period of deep bereavement and loss and says to her, you can't escape bereavement. You can't get round it or pretend it isn't there or just avoid it. In the light of the gospel, you must lift up your loss and pain and look at life through this suffering, for then you'll be close to Christ. What does he mean? He means, I think, that we have no option if we are to be with God but to allow suffering to change us We can trust that suffering will not overwhelm us finally if we can bear it with Christ. But it will certainly, certainly change us. One of the stupidest things that people say um, to the bereaved is, oh, you'll get, you know, just give it a year and you'll, you'll get over it. I don't think we ever get over profound bereavement. But as Rilke says, it changes us. It perhaps makes us value love more fully. It makes us more compassionate to others in their loss. It gives us a deep sense of our own inadequacy and, I hope, of Christ's presence with us in that. The Gospel, according to Mark, teaches us to take courage in fear and suffering because Christ will be with us, bearing it, transforming us, and giving hope for the future.
Because that's the odd thing. Jesus says, I will rise again, a proclamation of hope. But still the disciples are afraid. Then finally, the gospel according to Mark teaches that beyond all our losses and fears and suffering, beyond our confusion and our failure to understand what is happening, Christ is present. The God we see is only a small part of the God who is. The Christ we acknowledge in our fragmentary, humble, inadequate way is only part of Christ in his glory and majesty. Primarily, I think, in York, in Mark, the glory and majesty of the cross. One of the things that helped Christians suffering under Stalin most profoundly was the sense that even when their whole society was being broken apart by violence, God was not diminished. They suffered constant debilitating fear. If you've seen the very disturbing film, The Death of Stalin, you might have some sense of what that fear was like. It shows, terrifyingly, a concert being broadcast live on radio, a piano concert, and the pianist, unusually, was explicitly a person of faith. Stalin is shown listening to the concert at home and then rings up the radio station about 10 minutes later and says, oh, could they send him a record of the concert? To their horror, they find that they didn't record it, but they know that they must respond to Stalin's request. Half the audience has left, and so police are called to keep the rest of the audience there. They go onto the street and force passers-by to come into the theatre so that the, um, the acoustic will be the same. And while everyone is shaking, they record the concert. This is a true story. And the pianist was one of the very rare Christians who was explicit about her faith. At the end of the concert, with this precious record that had been cut, she scribbled on a piece of paper that Christ is risen from the dead and loves even you, Stalin, and puts it in the record sleeve, entirely without fear. When asked how she could do this, she said, it is because I know that although my culture is breaking down around me in fear and violence, even though our lives are dominated by fear, 
my God is beyond this, feels our suffering, but is not overwhelmed. Christ is risen. So, dear brothers and sisters, we must take courage in joyful confidence, even when we do not understand the ways of God and we are afraid, even when we meet suffering that seems beyond us and we see only loss, even when we see the gospel ignored or dismissed by others, even in times of great uncertainty, hear the words of our Savior. The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. This God, who has risen again, is the God we proclaim. And so, there is hope for all of us.